What's up? Welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This week is with Sebastian Rodriguez. And this was such a fun episode for me for a couple reasons. One, it is so rare for me to meet somebody that shares the love of music and cars at the level that I do. I feel like those two things don't always go together. And when I met Sebastian and he had that, I was just like, yo, there's something about you. And the other thing about him is he's, his work is absolutely incredible. He's an amazing photographer, some of like truly my favorite work. And in his story, as we tell this story, something that I didn't know, something that clicked to me was just what happens when you truly authentically follow your path and go down the route of following your interests for you, not for anyone else, but doing what's interesting and exciting to you. And the way he tells that story was so freaking cool. So I think you guys are going to really love this episode. I certainly did. If you do, the best thing that you can do is letting us know. It means so much to me. Hit us up on Instagram. I'm at Andrew underscore FTW. He is srodriguez92. And if you want to do me the biggest favor in the world, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and leave me some feedback on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Helps a ton. With that said, let's get right into it. Here we are. Where are all my friends from coast to coast making it work with staying at home and I am with the homie Sebastian Rodriguez. And uh, this is a cool one. We had talked about doing it even in person because you stay traveling. Um, but it's also cool. I like the excuse to be able to do this with friends all over the country, the world right now. So thank you for taking the time to do it. Not for sure, man. Thank you. I, like, like you said, we've been trying to do this for such a long time. And I, I wish we got to do this in person because we like there have been so many times that we've been in person talking about this. But, you know. At least we got to do it. Dude, I was thinking about it too. And it's like, at first, I was like, ah, oh, it's not the same. But I'm just stoked. Like, hell yeah, technology. Like, thank you for this. Thank you for letting <laughs> us Skype. And like, it's awesome. Like, I'll take what I can get. And I've, just from the conversation that we've had, I, I know that there's a lot of cool parts in your story. And whatever way we got to tell that, I'm down to make it happen. Bye, so, bye. Sweet. So I guess my favorite way to start is just telling the audience, telling anybody listening who you are and what you do, like super briefly. Yeah. So, so my name is Sebastian Rodriguez and I'm, <laughs> my girlfriend looked at me. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Uh, I'm a photographer with uh, working mainly in the music and automotive in industries. Tight. I like that. And I think that that's, to add to that, the reason why I'm so excited to do this one with you is it's very rare that you find the person that likes both music and automotive in a way of like truly understanding both sides of the culture. You know, you can loosely like something, but I feel like you have such a good, deep understanding of both and your work shows that. So I'm really excited to get into that and hear a bit of it. Thank you, man. Just those words mean so much. Well, dude, right, you feel it. Like, I feel like any kid online, anybody looking, you can just tell. You can tell by the way the, the car that somebody builds, uh, what they post, the attention to detail, the artists that they focus on listening to and featuring. And like, you just do a really good job of, I don't know, understanding both worlds. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange because uh, 
it's not like I make a valiant effort to understand them. It's just my actual interests. You know, it's not like I like research them that deeply. It's like part of just what I listen to and do every day since forever. Yeah. Like it, you kind of can't fake that or force it, right? Like you start sure. to get into something and you're like, wait, this is awesome. And then you start yeah, yeah. like digging and you're like, wait a minute, it gets cooler. And when certain people do all of those things, you can kind of just tell like, wait a minute, I think we Googled the same thing endlessly forever. Cause you understand yeah. <laughs> this tiny little detail and yeah. you kind of have that nod. Um, so take me like, what I like to do is like, I like to start off with your story and where you found your first like passion, you know, outside of just like school and the norm that everybody does. Like, was it cars first? Was it music first? Like, what's that look like for you? Um, I think it came a lot from like, not knowing what, what, what piqued my interest, but knowing that what piqued everyone else's interest around me wasn't the same. Like, for example, like in the, like, I remember in school, like everyone's into sports and everyone's into like celebrities and like, just very, just like, I guess, quote unquote, normal stuff. And I never had any inclination towards any of that. And I kind of just started becoming in a sense, like an internet kid, just kind of like finding things on the internet to pique my interest and that's when like i always had a, an interest towards cars and i was always i mean i was subscribed to super street since i was like nine years old or something like that Dude, yes <laughs> and like uh in my own neighborhood growing up there was uh two individuals who were big on on hondas and were always working on theirs outside and that just as a kid those were the people who were cool to me like <laughs> yeah. yeah not like anything else that I was told was cool. So I guess, yeah, once like in school, I, I became kind of a person who kind of like alienated myself in a sense because I was just, I just found things on the internet that I thought were cool. And that is aligned with cars, things that were going on in Japan, music, and then like fashion and sneakers and stuff like that. So yeah. it was all stuff that like, they were just like niche subcultures that like existed on the internet and not really anywhere around me. So I kind of just like inclined to just, I just observed a lot of stuff that was going on. You know yeah, what I mean? Like the more it wasn't around you in person, the more you were interested to just get on the internet and dig deeper and find yeah. other people anywhere that got it. And that's what I was like a digger. Cause I was just like, I would be on forums. Like I'd be on everything from like the B20 VTech forums. I don't know if you remember that from Honda's days. Oh, and, like, I was Honda, Honda King. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was at, and like Honda tech, and even like I'd be on the Subaru forums, like Nasiak or, or Nasiak or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and on Nike Talk and all these others. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything. I'd just be a watch. I'd just be like scrolling endlessly and just reading what people are talking about to each other and like what their social life within these subcultures is like and all that stuff. And that shit was just so cool to me. Dude, you that's know? crazy. So you were on these forums, like you didn't own a Subaru, you didn't own a Honda. You were just like you knew enough yeah. to find those I I, I relevant forms. Yeah. I couldn't afford like the sneakers that people were talking about on Nike talk and stuff like that. But like all that shit was just so cool to me. And that the, there was like these social groups built around these like niche subcultures. And that yeah. was just, like so interesting to me. I was like, that's the cool stuff in my head. I was just yeah. like, these are the people that are cool. The people that are doing this stuff that they find so interesting that they just dive their life into it. Dude, I and feel that. What age was that? That must've been, um, like 12 or 13. Okay. So like, yeah, like before you could even drive, you were just like, yo, and then like sneakers and everything, like before yeah. you could really even get into it, 
you found it online and just started reading and researching. Yeah. And I was more or less just impressed with the people that that was like their life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the fact that it, it seemed like these are just people that eat, slept, slept and breathe the shit that they were into. And I just thought that was so cool. So I, I was more or less like kind of just couldn't wait to get out of high school and just find a social niche like that. And the yeah. first one that gravitated to was cars because I was just so excited. Like cars were like the coolest shit to me. Like <clears throat> so, I could never have like any of the cars that I fantasized about building, even when it came to Hondas. But I, as soon as I could, I bought them. Yo, I was going to say, what, like, what was on the list? Like, what were your first cars in sight and what did you end up getting? Like, what were you thinking with? And like, what were the dream cars as you were looking? As I was looking, like, I, I really wanted, I remember I really wanted an RSX. I really wanted an SC 1000. Um, I had a weird inclination towards CRZs too. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Just like, well, and, and the Mugen kit for it is phenomenal. And I yes. just kept thinking about like how it would look with like a full Mugen kit. Once the reality started settling in that I needed to get an older Honda mm-hmm. based on like the fact that I had $2,500. Yep. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, all right, let's get a little more real. And then I was looking, I remember in my search for my first car with the money I had, it was either going to be an EG, an EF, um, or then I was also inclined towards getting a Mark II, uh, GTI. Oh, you were about to be a Volkswagen kid. Yeah. I, the same week that I bought my Civic, I, I bought it like on a Wednesday. And then I remember I had talked to a guy to look at his GTI on that Friday. But I like, as soon as I saw the Civic Coupe, I jumped at it and I bought it. And I never went to go see the Volkswagen. Like I always look back at that and like that could have changed so much. <laughs> Bro, I think about that a lot because I, like you, was a Honda kid to start. I started with a CRX, two CRXs, oh, and then got an EG hatch. But all my friends were Volkswagen kids. And I was like, damn, what if? <laughs> what, uh, what what year Civic did you get? I had a 92, so it was an EG Coupe. Yo. It was, yeah, it was a Red Camellia Pearl, which is like that purple that it came in. Yep. Um, but it was a heap of shit, like a quarter of the car was literally made a Bondo and had like cracking on it. And it was just, uh, it had like a primered hood and a primered bumper. I never got them painted. It's better that I, way. Like, yeah. I mean, I just like did what I could, but I remember the first thing I did was I scrapped together some money and I got a used set of Tane coils and I thought it was the coolest shit ever because <laughs> I had Tane coilovers. Dude, yes. I remember that. And I think like more so than the specific cars and parts, I think that the the thing here that I am obsessed with and intrigued by is finding your own lane because I did the same thing. Like I was on Honda Tech when I was like 14 years old. For me, my forums were Honda Tech and Tampa Racing because I was in Florida. I knew that was huge even though I wasn't in Florida. I was going to say that. Surprisingly, people outside of Florida were still all about TR. Mm -hmm. But for me, like finding forums and it was like, it it wasn't necessarily the cars because you were even saying like you were on Nike Talk. Yeah. Which I, I didn't find that side of it. And I'm curious on that too. But I think that when you start to find that and you start to find that all this information and all these people are available, all of a sudden your immediate uh, high school friends or whatever, like it doesn't matter, right? Like you find the subculture and you're just in. And then I remember I was like going to car meets and stuff like that. And it was the first time of finding community and finding the idea of like understanding that you could find community and knowledge on the internet changed my life. 
hundred percent same for me. I think it's kind of like what what broke me out of like the social hierarchy that exists when you're a teenager. Yeah, that didn't it, that didn't exist in my mind because like I was just like, no, there's like there's literally a cool world out there. Like I'm just constrained to this social hierarchy because I'm in this school. But Dude, like there's a whole fucking world out there. You just said that so well. That's exactly <laughs> what that is. So then what happens next? Like, how does the how does the journey keep going? Uh, the journey keeps going relatively same as pretty much any car kid. But, you know, the one thing that didn't I didn't have in the whole equation of being a car kid is money. So I was just always kind of just like, I just always had like, I had, I had a period of ratty cars, you know, yeah, like I just yeah. did what I could, but I'd always be at car meets like religiously. Like I remember every Wednesday night, go to a local Ledgewood car meet. Then yes. every Thursday, go to Edgewater meets. Uh, and then every Sunday, I forgot where I went to another meet, but that was religiously every yep. fucking week. I could not wait for Wednesday, Thursday and Sunday. And like, <laughs> dude, that's, that's what my life was for all the beginning of all that. And then creating small little social pockets, like my local, like in my, in the town that I lived in, there were kids that were into cars, obviously, and did what, you know, scrapped our money together to make our cars, whatever we could. And we would just all cruise to the meets all the time. And that became my friend circle. Like the first time I had really people that I clicked with was outside of high school because I was just like, finally, like, all these people are wired, like kind of like me, like this is cool to them and we're all doing this together. And that's how I started like realizing that like I can build a life like dude, like through this, this thing that's so cool to me. It's insanely cool right now for me to be talking to you about this because I grew up in Florida. You grew up in Jersey, right? Yeah. And like, it's the same story. It's the same, like, I said. <laughs> I, I wonder, like, how many people, like, how impactful that was. Like, I didn't think anything of it. It was all I knew. Yeah. But it's and it crazy to hear. To too. Yeah. And, like, dude, you say all the weekly meets. Like, dude, we would go to Panchero every Thursday, and it was, like, nothing else mattered. And if you had a new part on your car or if you fixed something or did something, you were so excited to share yeah. that victory with the homies. And yeah. I mean, like I moved to California with a, a one of my now very best friends who I met at the Friday night pita pit meet. <laughs> like, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah, through cars, I've literally met everyone that's actually completely changed my life, like somewhere along the road. That's and, so cool. Yeah. And even when it comes to the whole music world, like. There, the world is so small when you start getting into niche subcultures. And like, if you just know one person in some other, in one subculture, it like links you to all these others. And yep. it's so incredible. Yeah. And it's like, it's the common glue is people that get it. And I don't mean that in like a yeah. clicky way. It's like a way of just that feeling of like, yo, we're all obsessed with this same thing and we'll go crazy if we can't do it. And I think when you find other people of that mindset, it's just game on. Yeah, it's cool. It's like, a, I don't know, we all have like this sense of freedom that we feel like we've reached because yeah. of like chasing something that we find enjoyable. Yeah. And I think I think that's what makes everyone equal minded when you get to that um, in those social communities. So real. So the, the two questions I have there is at what point did photography come into it? 
And did you start like, cause I feel like being an internet kid also being on like the sneaker forms and all that, there's like a hustle that comes with, you kind of learn like an internet hustle. You learn that you can buy yeah. and sell. Like I was flipping car parts. Like I would pick up seats and wheels and flip them to make money. Same. So like, where does, uh, where does photography come in? And like, what was like your early work in finding out like how to make a dollar look like? I mean, work in general was a part of my life since I was 14. Like my first job was helping my father, uh, who his evening job was being a janitor at an, a middle school. And I was in middle school at the time and I would help him and he would give me like 50 bucks a week or something like that uh, for, for helping him every day. And then I, then also when I, when I was 14, I started working at a banquet hall, just uh, being a bus boy on the weekends. Yeah. So the hustle was always there of like, you know, just because like, if I wanted a cell phone, I had to be able to pay for it and then pay for it monthly. Like my parents were really good on like the whole no handouts thing and just kind of like teaching me like the importance of a dollar. So like if I wanted sneakers, you know, like they, at a certain point, they, at 14, they cut me off at 14. Like if you want sneakers, you buy them yourself. If you want this t-shirt, you buy yourself. But it, it's cool because I learned how to make that money and I learned how to appreciate the stuff that I purchased with it, even though it wasn't much. Like there were kids that were getting, you know, these $150 sneakers from their parents and they would beat them up because like they didn't care. There was nothing important about them. To me, they're grails, even though they were general release sneakers. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like my shitty Civic, that like $2,500 that took a lot of work for me to put together at the time was a lot to me. Like that was like my thing. Like I washed that car like every other day. Like, you know what I mean? Like I really, it was really cool. I, uh, working from such a young age really taught me uh, the importance of a dollar and working pretty much low end jobs you know, I was everything from a busboy to then a server there. I worked at a grocery store through high school for a bit. And then, yeah, flipping flipping car parts was a big thing, too. Because, yeah, you once you get into the for sale part of those forums, of all those forums, you start realizing there's people making money off of, like, the shit they love. Yeah. And everything from, like, I was flipping sneakers, I was flipping um, car parts and all that stuff. And yeah. that kind of, like, held me over. That would be, like, my extra funds for sneakers and car parts. Yeah, so, dude, you I would find that economy. Of, yeah, because I'd always think about wanting something that costs a certain amount. And I was like, okay, cool. I could sell this and then I could put a little bit of this money from this check and I can buy those wheels finally. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so, then in your head, you're like, and if I don't like them, I can flip them for this much and I'm only out a hundred bucks or I'm up 200, whatever. Exactly. So yeah, so yeah, building cars became more of just kind of like flipping the money I already had because I just didn't have much to put into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and it, it teaches that internet hustle, which is pretty cool. I do. It's, it's crazy how much I relate to that story. I love this. So yeah. where does photography come in? Photography, uh, didn't fall until I was in college. Um, and basically I was in, I was in school for graphic design. I graduated, I got, I got a degree in, in, uh, advertising, uh, in advertising design. And, um, in my first semester of college, I took a photography elective. And then I remember that most of the assignments were very open-ended and I was always doing car stuff. So I just always fulfilled my assignments, like shooting a friend's car or a car being involved or something, you know, a car was always involved. Yeah. That's so, your interest. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And then my free time was always through this camera that I bought for school. I'd always bring it with me, which was like a crop sensor Nikon D3100. Yes. And I just started becoming kind of rather obsessed with just like taking 
photos everywhere I went. Because I was doing, in my head, like, the coolest shit ever going to car meets. Yeah. <laughs> car meets. But, like, yeah. And I was just, like, always bringing my camera for all that stuff. And I um, fulfilled my all my assignments. And then after that, that class, I, n- I didn't even take another photography class. I just kept always shooting, like, always, like, for fun. It, shooting just became, like, the very fun thing that I was obsessed with at that moment. And I just bring, brought my camera along for everything, like from a car meet and, um, just hanging around the city with my friends. I was big on, in like that quote unquote urbex phase in like, uh, 2011, I think it was or something, 2012. Like, yeah. And what, <laughs> were you posting or were you just like, were you, uh, 2011, like Instagram was uh, not even, wasn't no. really there yet. It's like Tumblr. Yeah, no, I, at first, at first, I wasn't posting really any, maybe some car photos that were like cool cars on Facebook and whatnot, maybe. Yeah, but I'm I trying to think, because there was like what, like Flickr and you could post on the car forums. Yeah, like I, I remember cool. on Flickr, I, I posted a lot, but I, I just, I don't know. I never really did anything with it. And I also never considered myself a photographer because at the oh. time I'd, free, I'd freelance as in design work. So I just always did it. That was like my fun thing to do. And I don't know, I just kept doing it and doing it like it, it I just never had a goal in mind and I never had an intention behind it I just wanted to keep doing it yeah and I guess what developed from that is everything else <laughs> damn so then where did it get like real because obviously now you're at a point where you're shooting these huge festivals you're doing like very real beautiful commercial work for like what BMW and uh, was it Bentley or Rolls? Uh, Rolls, yeah, it was Rolls. Rolls, yeah, Rolls, Rolls. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. Did you get like a first paying job or like what did that look like? Um, what was in cars? The first paid photo. It wasn't actually even like a paid photo shoot. I remember I, um, I don't know if you remember the, the death cart, which is was built in Pennsylvania. It was a 240 that ended up being a whole just chassis that kind of looked like a Mad Max car that ended up being a drift car. Um, kind of. I remember like if, that if became I you a, a trend. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And it was the car that started that trend. Okay. Uh, basically, one day he was a good friend, and we went to his shop, and we just like I just shot around his shop, and then like I shot his car outside. He did some like donuts around me, and I like sh- shot that. And then a couple months later, and I'm like flipping through Super Street, it was like on a spread, that photo. And I was like, wait, that's insane. But I also didn't get a dollar for this. Yeah. Like you're like so stoked. And then you're (laughs) also like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Yeah. It it literally, it was a big, what the fuck is happening? Cause I was like, that's my photo. It's on the spread in Super Street. I'm like at a bookstore right now. And like, that's my photo. So, I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, just because like the owner of the car had submitted that photo to them and they did an article on the car and they did, they shot it themselves, but they wanted that photo too. And they thought they just had like rights to it cause the owner gave it to them, but they ended up paying me oh, cool. uh, for using that, that shot. And that was like the first time I was like, Oh, I can make money off shooting cars. That's cool. <laughs> Yo, I bet you <laughs> your never... gears were turning. Yes. In a sense, but no, in the, like, I was just like, I'm not trying to pursue this professionally. Oh, I still okay. Wasn't. Whoa. I still wasn't. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I, I had followed and admired so many people that were great at this profession that I was just like, that's their world. You know, I, I don't yeah. dare, you know, 
past the gatekeepers, you know? Yeah, no, I feel that. I got kind of like pulled through the gates in a sense. Like I never, I never had the intention to professionally pursue any of this. So then what happened? Cause you were, you were in college. Did you think that you were going to go down a different path? Yeah, I thought I was going to work in the agency as a designer. I thought I was oh. going to work my way up and just be a graphic designer and then an art director. And uh, I thought that was my path. Um, but once... I'm trying to think when it really got real. I I freelanced as a designer for... Do you remember Tune Revolution where we, we, we actually met, where Beth, where Beth introduced us? That yeah, car I want to say it was in Anaheim at the Convention Center 2018. Yeah, in yeah. 2013, I think it was, 2013, I started working for them freelance as a designer. Okay. Um, but I also would produce the the recap films, and yeah. I'd coordinate like the vehicles that were in it and locations and stuff like that, and I'd also bring my camera along while my friend Anthony would shoot the films. I would also just shoot BTS of that, Yeah, um, and I'd also get paid for that and then that's kind of like when i started taking seriously getting paid for photo and design work and i worked with tune revolution up till last year actually okay so Um, that was a big piece like doing stuff with tune revolution was important yeah yeah because i was working for myself and shooting and designing and then i kind of got to use that as a figuring out what was more important to me or what was i don't know what i was better at and enjoyed more yeah. and then i in the field stuff i started enjoying more and more because like it felt more real to me like designing is great and it's cool and i it's something i can do but i didn't it didn't feel tangible it didn't feel like i was doing anything in a sense and shooting just started feeling a lot more real to me and a lot more experiential and a lot more like i was doing something that like when i look back on my life i'd be happier looking back on that than like behind my computer that's a super like self-aware woke thing to think about and listen like internally to yourself to get to that point, you know? Yeah. And I don't think it was really that conscious of a decision. I think in hindsight, I can consciously think of it that way, but I think it was more just my inclination towards the experiential stuff, you know, it was just like more and more, like, I just want more of this. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and working close with Anthony who would shoot all the films for, uh, for Tune Revolution um, he, I started working a lot with him outside of Tune Revolution and, uh, with the production company that he worked, works for still, we all work for them still called A1 Visuals that are based out of New Jersey. And they were my real pu- first push into commercial work and like the professionalism of it all. Like oh, I, I, I worked with like Rolls Royce through them and whatnot. Um, and that's how it, that was the the puzzle piece that kind of clicked me from the grassroots world into the professional world. Yeah. And was a one associated with tuner evolution at all? Or like, how did that? No, 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 that was just their production company based out of New Jersey and Mm. they do a lot of automotive work. So they sought out Anthony, uh, you know, you know, Michael Zeal, right? Mm, Didn't he? I absolutely should. He, he did something huge. Uh, did he have the, the BMW, the rusty BMW, no, no, Stanceworks? no, 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 you're, you're thinking of Mike Stanceworks, but okay. Mike, Mike Ozeal, he actually lives out there in LA now, but I know him from the car scene back in Jersey. He's a DP and a filmmaker. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know him. Yeah. He was actually at race service the other day. I should introduce you guys. Damn it. <laughs> That's funny. 
Shouts to RS for bringing the world of automotive together in person. That's so cool. Yeah, that whole thing of just bringing that world together is so cool. My favorite Uh, place in the world. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so A1 had a roster of just people that were working in grassroots automotive because uh, they were trying to get into the commercial automotive world with needing talent. So they Uh, went into the grassroots and got Anthony, Mike Koziel, um, and eventually me. And so they were a smart company. Yeah, yeah. They they knew the right place to look to get real talent. For sure. And at at the time, we were like, none of us were really peak or like as good as we are right now. I think it was like perfect timing for everyone. Yeah. Um, And it it developed into all of us taking on these pretty big projects and and growing with them. So that's amazing that's been the big, the big bridge into the whole professionalism of it, because I really wasn't taking it that serious until I, I guess until people took me, ser- I wasn't taking myself serious until other people were taking me serious. And like some people would just call me a photographer and I was like, nah, I'm not a photographer. And they're like, no, look at this. You are. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's too real. I feel it. Yeah. So I kind of like just let the domino pieces just fall, you know, like kind of just like let life take me. Because uh, it started getting cooler and cooler the more I let life just pull me. So. That's amazing. So paint that picture. So like you start to get the commercial work. Like what are some of the projects that they were giving you? Like what what did that look like? Uh, it started it started being pretty eventy. They 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 just like had like me doing a lot of event work at first. That within the event work, that, like for example, like there would be a Rolls Royce event, and then they would also pull me outside to do like a full shoot of what the the display vehicle that they had there and then kind of just like edit it in a way that like looked like a commercial shoot in a sense and kind of like steered away from the event stuff a little bit more and started getting more into just like like uh i think last year was that i went to la and they shipped a phantom out to la and like for six days i was just shooting a phantom in la like driving it around and everything and just like taking it wherever I wanted to and just, you know, so giving whatever sick. I got from it. And didn't yeah. you do one out like in the snow? Like it was like the craziest looking like winter shots. Yeah. Yeah. That was now in Aspen. Dude. It was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So, so it's been, it went started like, that's why I said like the, so the company started, we were all at the same level kind of like just trying to like get out of where we are and kind of like, um, use the crutch of event work to kind of, um, build us up within the companies that we work for. Yeah, that makes sense. And then where does music come into it? Because the, the work that you have done in music is ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, where does that happen? Yeah. So with, with being an internet kid and with finding the shit that was cool to me um, is where I started finding music on the internet Cause I just didn't, I ne- was never inclined to anything that I was really hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started finding pockets of music elsewhere and just finding stuff that was cool to me. Um, really early on, like it was really, really early before internet music. I was just really into like Atlanta trap music and like Chicago drill music and all this shit that was just like such an exaggerative, like hard, like, out of this world to me at least yeah people were just saying hard shit like that was just so cool to me totally. and then i started using the internet to find people that were kind of like influenced by that elsewhere and like you know like there was 
um, Keith Ape, the Korean uh, trap artist. And like, I found shit like that so cool because that's like some dude that like grew up in Korea, but like grew up also listening to like Waka Flocka and all this stuff and then wanted to like put like crazy 808s and trap beats on his stuff. Like that stuff type of stuff just started becoming really cool to me. Yeah. And yeah, after after high school, when I was like in college, I just go to shows a lot alone and whatnot because I was always in the city. Mm. And I used to intern at a at a clothing brand in Brooklyn while I was in college. And um, I'd go to a lot of shows in Brooklyn because I I'd just be out, get out of my internship and go to go to the shows. And I always had my camera with me. So and the underground shows you know, it's just like you walk in and like, they just check your bag, but you could walk in with a camera. Like they're yeah. just warehouse shows. Yeah. <clears throat> but this is the people I was really into. So it was cool to me. And at one point I just kind of like started like using my camera. Cause I, I would literally have my camera in my backpack, but just, I'd be moshing in a crowd or something like that. And I really like cared to, uh, to shoot what I was, but I was like, fuck it. Let me just bring my camera out. And it was at a, I don't know if you know Sesh Hollow Waterboys, which is like Xavier Wolf and Bones. Yeah, well, that's another yeah. really cool piece because Xavier Wolf is like kind of one of the only car music people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it was it was a warehouse show that they did in Brooklyn, and I took photos. It might be some of the crappiest music photos I've ever took <laughs> in my life. I was like in a fucking mosh pit, like like just getting my face beat basically just trying to get like whatever I could get. Yeah. And, uh, like I remember my backpack got torn apart. Like I had like homework just fucking like on the ground, (laughs) (laughs) but I was just like, this is kind of cool. Like this is such a chaotic environment. And like, even though the images I got weren't, there was a lot of like beauty in the madness of those photos that I got. And I kind of fell in love with that at that particular moment. And, uh, I remember emailing them to their tour manager, which is Bones' uh, brother, mm. and they actually loved the photos. And I remember that the ne- that same night, Bones posted one of them and tagged me on Instagram. And I was just like, holy shit. And he followed Yo. me and DM'd me. And I was like, holy shit. Yo. <laughs> Bones is a really, really good friend of mine. And uh, that kind of just gave me the first, like literally the first time shooting a show and just an immediate ego boost in a sense and an immediate like sense of accomplishment and i was just in an immediate sense of like oh i can do something with this you know yeah. it just it was just it gave me like a so it was like a trampoline push not even like a not even like a little you know like like pat on the back that was just like i don't know i wanted to run with that that felt that whole night that whole experience felt so great to me and i kind of mm-hmm. just wanted to run with that so i just started i kept bringing my my camera to shows and you know, they, it was really easy at the time because most of these artists weren't big. Like I'd go to, I went, I took my camera to a suicide boy show once and this was like 120 people there at, you know, at the venue. It was really easy to shoot them. And yeah. Like you were I guess so early on all saying, that. Yeah. You were saying about like just keeping my ear to things that were cool early on helped a yeah. lot in the long run. Just organically enjoying, uh, these individuals helped a lot because, you know, I was able to shoot them and their access to them was so easy, you know, emailing them stuff was so easy then, you know, like their emails would literally be on their Twitters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. At, at that time they wanted people to contact them. So stuff like that, you know, it kind of helped me in the beginning a lot because it was easy to just get stuff out. And yeah. like, even, even the uh, Keith ape, I remember I shot a show, um, for him, uh, for, for, for the, 
promotional company that was throwing a show for him in New York City. It's such an easy exchange of like email and just get to shoot the show. And it was such a chaotic, crazy experience. Like I was on stage with him and like shooting him and even the photos came out insane. And that might've been the second or third time I ever shot a show. And um, yeah, it just became really easy to get my photos, to get photos, like to get access to take photos of these people and to get it to them. And that started like a really big domino effect. Well, like you said two things there that just blew my mind where one is like even earlier in your story, it kind of takes somebody else believing in you first where you're like, everyone's calling you a photographer and you're like, Oh, I, I guess. Right. So it's yeah. like you send them those photos, they post them, they follow you. You're like, Oh wait, shit. Maybe this was like, it's crazy how such talented people don't see it until somebody else does. And it, it really feels like that happened. And then the other piece that's blowing my mind is like, just not chasing what's cool and fads you were just on the internet. And another piece, like we didn't really talk about you following fashion or anything like that, but I would like, that's another huge piece that influences music and culture. So if you're on all of those forms as well, if you're a designer, like you're just listening and following what you fuck with. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's what it's always been from the beginning, which is, I guess what's even made it more self-gratifying in a sense, you know? it's only been what is cool to me always. <laughs> like, like that's such a cool thing to hear. I love hearing that story because I don't like the stories of people compromising with their reality and being like, ah, well, I tried and this was whack. So now I'm over here doing something that I sort of love. You're like, nah, like every single thing you see me doing, I love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's been a double-edged sword because also things I enjoy and the and the the career path that I've chosen has also become popularized in a sense and it's yeah. kind of like it's really made like a really big mixed batch and there's people that are really um it 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 all seems really cool to them and then when they start doing it they're like not fulfilled they're they're putting out great work and they're doing all their all the motions yeah but there there's no sense of self fulfillment and like I don't know there's some people that you know they're they're dying to shoot post malone for example but they actually love trees and i'm just like why don't you you know pursue that if you really fuck with trees yeah like you can really do something with that like you don't have to do something that like see just seems cool to you you can do something that's actually cool to you do i think there's a yeah go go yeah yeah there's a there's just a big uh double-edged sword with things that that seem cool yeah. Rather than just following your, you know, what you what you think is awesome. That I think you're right. Like that's a double edged sort of the internet because you see all these people and you see things that look so cool, and it's like, are they? Does it look so cool because it's somebody who's authentically absolutely in love with it, and of course it's going to look cool because they obsess over it and they see the best angle of it and they have all of the understanding. So now that it looks so cool, people that don't understand it want to be a part of it. Yeah. Like it, and it's it's, a, it's, it's relatively easy to replicate too. Exactly. Know? So yeah. it, it, it's, it misleads a lot. Yeah, that's, it, it is. That's a really interesting perspective that I didn't really think about. But okay, so you were telling me though, so you started shooting those shows, you're on stage with Keith Abe and it keeps going. Like it's more and more on the music side as well. Yeah, it was kind of slow at first, but it was like I was just kept going underground shows and kept keeping it in contact with uh, promoters in, in New York City that were 
throwing these shows and like i said it got it was really easy to you know like looking back on it like these were people that are huge now like if i think about like shooting such hollow water boys then puya suicide boys keith ape um playboy cardi i remember i shot a show for him and it was not that many people and it was in, in queens and you know just the thinking back on it it was it was so easy I, yeah. I hate to say how easy it was but it was so easy it was because so, it was so organic it just, well there's gonna be another wave of that right like right now as we're oh, right talking, now it's happening of course. exactly yeah but that what that was probably like 2016 uh yeah yeah i yeah. think yeah it's may between 15 and 17 was like that whole of me just kind of like getting my feet wet and all that um i think it was 2016 actually okay so everything kind of changed or not kind of changed but changed a good amount when i met beth oh um, cool yeah yeah which is really cool that um we have that in common so in 2015 at sema yeah. I was there shooting for Acura, rest in peace Acura, because they went out of business this week. Dude, so sad. Crazy. But yeah, I was shooting for, for Acura, and yeah, we had mutual friends, and we knew each other through Instagram, so we were like, cool, we could finally meet and hang out. So we met at SEMA, and we just became like really great friends from that point on. The next, the following spring, she shoots for Rhymesayers, who throws the festival sound set, yeah. And she asked me if I could shoot Soundset Festival with her. That was the first time I like got a festival thrown at me, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like, like let's go!" <laughs> like, and Dude. and uh, that was a big change. That that escalated everything when it came to music because that was just everything. <laughs> That's <laughs> insane. Yeah. Also, like, just the biggest shouts to Beth. Like, she is such a good natural catalyst. Like, yeah. she is so good at just connecting people and seeing those lines. That's so That's, cool to hear in your story that that was such a big piece. It's, it's, it was a huge, it was literally the bridge between automotive and music. That's. Wow. That's that's it right there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, that makes sense, though, right? Because, like, I've seen you guys shoot Rolling Loud together and, like, there's, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, after she got me on Soundset, then a lot of things in the music started just clicking and knowing that, you know, more people, it just all starts falling in place more and more. Yeah. And uh, then when it came to uh, Rolling Loud, I was the one who sought about getting myself, Beth and Michael Zeal on Rolling Loud media team. Oh. As kind of like a more of like I want obviously I wanted to work uh, on Rolling Loud media team. But I also wanted to return the favors that Mike and Beth did to me of building me these inroads in the in the music industry, and it, it worked. I was able to get in contact with their media director. I sent him a uh, a pitch deck of proposing us to join the team, and Beth wasn't actually able to do that first rolling out with us um, because she was booked for something else. Oh, but me cool. and Michael Zeal went to Miami and shot that rolling out, and then it's been a really really tight relationship with them since then for all three of us dude and yeah it, was, it felt really good to be able to to do that because like they did so much for us like i feel like even doing something as like putting them on the world's biggest hip-hop festival is still not enough like of a return of a favor yeah but it felt good to be able to do that for sure how do you have the idea to do the pitch deck like i feel like not everyone would take that initiative yeah, and that's actually why I immediately got an email back and a phone call. Um, 
because most people were not uh, reaching out like that. Yeah. And the way I told Beth and, and, and Mike about it was if, if we were going to reach out, it had to be like as correct as possible. Yeah. And, uh, I, when I came, it's great. Cause like, I, since I had a design background, I knew that like, if, and when you want to show an idea to someone, you build a deck in order to like, you know, have some sort of visuals and be able to go through it with someone. So I wanted to just send them a deck that would just like highlight, you know, who we were, what we can offer, not really be a more of like, let us shoot this um, so we can get these cool photos. It was more of like, this is who we are and this is what we can offer. Let's talk about this. And they really enjoyed that aspect because most people just hit them up and just like, we'll send a link to their Instagram and be like, yep. let's, let's, let me shoot, bro. Like something yep. like that. Like we'll actually email their media director, something like that, like just informal. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought it just, uh, the importance of the festival deserved a kind of like a very formal yet just like not overly done uh, deck. And it, yeah. it worked. It worked. I immediately got an email, like literally seven minutes after sending that, I got an email back with um, from the media director saying, this is my number. Give me a call. Dude, that's a really cool piece of this to hear. And I think that there's a lesson in that, right? Like anybody listening, anybody that's like, how do I get that next step? It's like, don't just do the normal thing. Like, think about it. Like, what's the best version you can present? What's something different? Like, that's that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I think when it comes to, like, reaching that next level in your career, you have to put together, like, the best version of you forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's, that's the only way to get to that, that next level. And, and it worked flawlessly when it came to that. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, you then followed it with a great product. Uh, but yeah. that's kind of to be expected if you had that vision and you took the time <laughs> to do that. That's, that was, uh, yeah, that was the goal. I was like, if, if we land this, we got to show, like, we got to like really show our work. Yeah. And, uh, and that, I mean, that pretty, well, did I skip anything? Like that's pretty much your life now, right? Like you're doing commercial work for automotive, mm -hmm. you're shooting festivals, all sorts of different music. Like that pretty much takes you to the final form. Did I, tell me if I missed anything. Sorry. That's pretty much everything. Yeah. It, it was literally just, uh, everything almost kind of just, I don't know. It's so weird, dude. When I look back on it, it's, it almost becomes hazy because everything kind of almost happened on its own, but it was because I was drawn to these things organically. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, I love that, right? Like that's, that's why I love doing this podcast. That's why I like taking the time to rewind because it's so easy to look at where people are at now and say, must be nice. But when you take the time to go through the steps, you're like, damn, that was a lot, huh? It was, it was. Cause like, I think if we did skip anything, it was just the years of me playing with a camera. Like yeah. I, I did not touch a camera until my adult life. So, you know, most people that you speak with that or most people I speak with, at least in my career, you know, they first touched the camera as a kid, my own girlfriend, there's like photos of her as a child, you know, playing around with the camera. And she's a photographer nowadays too. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't my, that wasn't my case. It wasn't my story, uh, at all. It was, I started fiddling with a camera, um, after, as an adult. Yeah. And I just saw it as a good avenue to show all the stuff that was cool to me. Like, yeah. I was just like, all this stuff has been so cool to me for so long. And now I have a tool to present it in a way that I'd like to show it. That's... And that's, it was like, yeah, it was like that's, the perfect tool. 
amazing. I love that so much. Another thing I wanted to pick your brain on a little bit is in that lane, like creatives, I think, I mean, you said that piece about not doing what's cool to other people. And I, I so much love that. And like the, the steps, like it just feels like you've done this in the most authentic way. And another thing that I see you doing authentically, which I see others not, is you have a way like you have presets and you'll do prints every now and then. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel spammy at all. It's a beautiful product. And I'm just curious what you think, like being more on the, I guess, freelance or creative side, it's not always easy to figure out your weekly income, right? Like it's not just like a nine to five check. I think you've done a really good job with that. Like how did you get to that spot and like how do you navigate doing that? 100%. Yeah. Um, Like you said, it's not not a nine to five. It's not a weekly check. So, you know, some of these companies are net 90. So it's it's been a lot of figuring out the day by day, they're getting the bills paid and, and whatnot. And I also didn't want to sacrifice um, being gimmicky or downplaying. You know, I, I, I find my work rather special and I do want to treat it as such. Um, so I didn't want to just mm, downplay it in yeah. a sense or or just come off gimmicky, you know? So yeah. when it came, when it came down to offering the prints, I spent a, a really long time just curating the, the images that I feel are appropriate to offer. Cause I know that people put them in their offices and their homes and their bedrooms and whatnot. Yeah. So a, a, a large amount of time is just going photo for photo of just everything in my catalogs for a, of a prolonged period of time and just, um, you know, really just treating it as special as the images are to me and offering them for a, cer- a certain span of time, yeah. offering just a certain amount of them and, you know, hoping that, that people purchase them and, and they do. And, and it helps me substantially. It helps me do the next thing I want to do. Like, you know, selling prints helped me curate a book and help me sell a photo book. So I, I didn't I know dropped you did a fo- photo book. Yeah, yeah, I dropped it last summer. Bro, what? <laughs> What's yeah. it called? It's called. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm working on it. <laughs> no way. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Damn, that's so yeah. sick. Yeah. So being able to do that sort of stuff and being able to have a sort of a, a following of individuals that that enjoy it and and even even purchase the stuff is has been a, a huge help in, in that, the in-between of uh, receiving that freelance check. Yeah, dude, I feel that. Yeah. And what same you... thing with the, with, the, with the preset packs. I tried to keep them as non-gimmicky as possible, actually be a helpful tool. Like I, I spent so much time just looking at different situations that I was shooting and creating a preset appropriate to um, not only like fixing things that like of lighting, you know, especially when you start shooting you are shooting crappy venues in, mm-hmm. at least in music. And I, I, I tried to curate stuff to battle bad lighting, harsh lighting, harsh colors, things of that nature. And yeah. just by creating those presets and by people having like seeing how cer- certain sliders affect certain colors, it'd be more educational in a sense. Yeah. I'm not, not really trying to people have people live off my presets. I'm trying to like have people learn off of them and then make, 
their own adjustments. I was just going to say that. Like, again, I've only like, you know, I dabble, I have fun with photography, but that's not my lane. But yeah, I'll hear people hate on presets, but I think those people are missing the point. It's not to just cop somebody's style and be like, look, I look just like you now. And that's going to be my ticket to success. It's just uh, somebody else's eye and it's a different perspective that then might trigger an understanding and challenge you to look at an image differently and then find your style. hundred percent. And actually it's funny because I, I always shied away from offering presets because in a sense I was like, I don't want to give people my sauce. Like, Yo, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I was just like, I don't know, man. Like I worked so hard to, to build my stylistic approach to things and like, you know, it's like literally giving them the Krabby Patty secret formula. <laughs> but my good friend Anthony, he put things in perspective for me because uh, he's a filmmaker, but he also um, makes his own beats and sometimes own music that goes on his films. Mm-hmm. And he was explaining to me, he's like, listen, I buy beat packs from certain producers so I can, you know, build, make my beats, but I cannot make what they make, even though I purchased their beat packs. And I was like, huh, it's like the same thing as like giving someone the same tool set you use to build your car. But if they don't have like, you know, your exact approach, the car is going to come out different. Yeah. Your taste, your eye, your style. Yeah. So it's been cool. It's been cool seeing people use it and, you know, kind of like use them in their way because every, everyone's work that they've sent me has come out so different and so elevated it's really cool like i probably challenges you you'll look at things differently like damn 100 100 it's been really cool actually i've actually thoroughly enjoyed it um and i thoroughly enjoyed the fact that i curated preset packs specifically for concert photography and specifically for automotive because i was just i felt like i could actually give tools like actually give stuff that's usable yeah so it felt really good felt really good to do that no, that that's really cool. Like I I respect that because I feel like, I don't know, at least for me, I can see, I feel like I can see through what's authentic and what isn't. Like you can feel that. People aren't stupid. Yeah. So when you see people doing those gimmicky things and all that, you're like sick, I get it, you're broke. But I, I didn't feel that. Like, <laughs> I felt like you legitimately were like, this is something cool. Like this means something to me and I want to share it. Yeah, 100%. And I, it just, it felt really good that, that so many people were inclined to, to purchase them and try them out and then also make, you know, put their touch on it because yeah. that was the whole point of it. Like was for people to use it as a tool, not to use it as like a finished product. So sick. It's so been really- another question I have is what's next? Like you've done so much, right? Like you've, you've followed your compass. You've accomplished all of this. What, what are the next, like what's the next round of goals? Man, I really don't even know. I, I, I honestly don't like building a structure as much as like you should have a structure to your life and a structure to your goals. Um, not pursuing something is what got me to where I'm at. Whoa. And I kind of like want to let that wave, you know, keep doing its thing. You're down for the ride. I'm kind of, I'm down for the ride. Yeah. Cause like, dude, what, what if I constrain myself to an idea and I'm, I, 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 I go off path of like wherever this is taking me, you know? Yeah. So I'm more like, oh, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> Dude, that's so sick. It's, it's, it's the shit I love. So like, you know, like I'm never going to not like where it takes me. 
Right. Yeah. Like as long as you stay doing stuff that you love, as long as you follow that, it doesn't matter what the form or the vessel is of that. Exactly. That's pretty much where I see it right now. That's so fire. Right now the whole world's on a standstill and I kind of just have to like, I'm kind of just standing idle, you know, (laughs) just like waiting, you know, for the world to pick back up and then, you know, attack it accordingly. Yeah. Has that been weird as a creative? Like so much of your work is live events and travel and all that. It's, yeah, it's, it's really, really strange. Honestly, like, you know, through the winter and like through the previous months, you kind of, you kind of like mentally prepare yourself for these months of like the chaos and like literally like, you know, getting a phone call today and being in a different country tomorrow. like, you know, all that, the chaos and the sporadicness of that, of my life and my career is not happening. You know, it's it's not going to happen. The only phone calls I'm getting is like, this festival got canceled. We're not going to be able to do, you know, this not going to have you for this show because the show got canceled. Like, you know, this shoot, this shoot got moved to next year, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the only calls I'm getting right now. And I just have to like stay optimistic, you know, like at the end of the day, one day it's going to all pick up again. And then whatever, wherever my trajectory is going is going to continue going. So I'm just kind of like, just really looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, I guess the one thing that doesn't change is like your passion and love for the interests that you have doesn't go away. It's not like you're going to stop looking at, you know, the cars and the builds and the artists and the inspiration. If anything, it's like, it's rekindled a lot of that, you know, like when you are very, very in it, when you're like at a festival one day and on a commercial shoot the next day, blah, blah, you maybe, I, at least I started getting jaded like last year, I started getting jaded to the things. And I, right now, my perspective is I really took all that for granted. And I really like, should have enjoyed that a little bit more. But the whole repetitive factor of everything. And like, I remember the first time I was uh, shooting that festival with Beth in Minneapolis, and I was in front of 40,000 people, sh- like shooting on that stage that big. It was insane to me. And now it's just like, it's the same thing as like going for a walk in the park for me. And I think um all that kind of like being removed from my life forcefully um has has shed like a a reappreciation and a rekindling of like how much how good i had it and how good all that really is dude that is big big facts i feel like all of us are going to come back to this with the biggest smiles we're gonna be so excited at these events like everything yeah dude i mean you really start thinking about everything that your life encompassed before this. And you're just like, shit, life was good. <laughs> yeah. Life was fucking good. You, it was you nice. Miss hugging the homies, you know? Like, <laughs> God, it's too real. Too, yeah. too real. Um, similar on that line, anywhere, I always like this question of anywhere in your career, if there was ever like a, a tough spot, like, like, wherever it felt the most uncertain where what spot do you go to and what do you tell yourself with the knowledge that you have now hmm it's interesting because yeah things have reached rock bottom several times like it's definitely not an easy road freelancing and doing it on your own and you know that whole road is like it's like taking like the the harder route because it's it's filled with so much uncertainty so much net 60 that turns into net 90 so much like you know 
sometimes even clients just not paying and, you know, like you can't afford to take them to court and, you know, it's, it's a lot of that stuff. Um, so it's a lot of hitting rock bottom and I think failing has prepared me better than anything I could have ever done because I've failed hard several times, um, in, in this journey and just that the pickup from failure, it just turns you like into a new human or a new form of yourself and even like a better version of yourself. I almost start looking forward to, to failure because like when things are really good, like I said, I get really jaded and I get, I get, I start forgetting the importance of everything, but a real good, a good, a good rock bottom goes a long way. <laughs> Dude, you know, it's, it's strange. It's crazy. You say that because I feel that honestly, that's a common theme and answer in some very successful people that I've talked to is like you can learn the most and become the best version of yourself when you embrace the failures. Yeah, dude, like you gotta, you have to fail. Like, okay, no, you don't have to, but but the dude, it's like, it's the most humanizing thing you could do. Going after something that like in your heart is something that you want to do and then full on falling on your face is like you, you picking up takes so much of you and so much actual love for what you're doing that it just it puts you in a better place that was beautifully said i really (laughs) like that's a great answer dude thank you for that damn um i i mean fuck we hit our hour this was this was amazing really yeah (laughs) it it flies i wanted to talk to you about drifting now you've built your car yeah yeah incredible uh but i don't know man maybe Maybe once you get back to, uh, when things get back to normal and you're back out in LA, we can do a part two and just talk about the now or something. I'd love to. Yeah. It'd be awesome. It'd We're, be actually really good. We could revisit, you know, how, how this path uh, continues now and when things get a little normal. Actually. Yeah. That'd be a really fun. Yeah. Like, like to just see like life after Corona, like what, what <laughs> opportunities have come up, what you're doing, what that ended up looking like. That'd be really fun. Yeah. Yeah, totally down for it. All right, we're doing that. Uh, Where can everyone find you? If they want to check out your work, if they want to buy a print or a preset or just follow you, what's the best place to find you? Uh, Instagram is normally the best. That's Rodriguez92. And that's the same uh, on Twitter too. Perfect. Rodriguez 92 Yes, sir. Boom. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. No, no, thank you, man. This, This conversation has been beyond delightful i can't believe the whole hour it's crazy bro it rips by i feel like in my head i'm always trying to like kind of keep the meter and like keep it going because i personally will like want to just talk about honda tech for an hour like i want to yeah like yo 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 (laughs) what were you in we touched on so many like things that i wish we could just dedicate all the time in the world to but no i I think i think we did good i think we had a good for as for the kind of people we are and for how obsessive we can get over little niche things, I, I think that that flowed real well. Yeah, yeah. No, and I'd like to say also this conversation was long overdue because yeah. we always see each other more or less in passing. So yeah. um, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we got to actually sit down and, and Likewise, do this picking up brains. I feel like, I, at least myself, like I'll have a feeling about people, right? Like there'll be little tiny things and I'll be like, I think they get it. And then when that <laughs> feeling is right and you have a conversation like this, it's just like, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly what you mean. That's so sick.